This podcast is a ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Hatfield, Pennsylvania. And now, the message. Thanks, guys. Uh, well, good morning, Crossroads. It's great to have you all here this morning. Uh, what a fun day, and, and it's going to get more fun. Uh, Pastor Nick and I are going to be team teaching today. We've never done this before, so it should be exciting, at least for someone. Uh, I love how it looks so much better when they pasted your face on my body. Like, the... yeah, yeah. Well, uh, yeah. I th- yeah, I think, yeah, they just, scre- yeah. anyway, that, that would be a scary thing. Hey, uh, before I forget, um, one thing that uh, I, I want to highlight that, that Jim didn't, I asked him to wait because I want to mention this, and that's uh, in the bulletin we started listing our next membership class, Exploring Membership. Many of you have been coming now for a while, you love Crossroads, or you've been coming for a shorter time and, and you want to get to know us better. Uh, that means a lot to us, and uh, one of the opportunities that we provide is this exploring membership class. It's always a great time. We give you a light lunch together. Uh, together we share a little bit about how we found Crossroads and why we, we stayed. And then we learn a little bit about how, what, how we function, what the secret sauce is here at Crossroads. And uh, it's always a fun time, about two and a half hours together. I want to encourage you that if you've, if you've attended and you've continued attending, then it probably means you should come and visit uh, this class. Now, attending the class doesn't mean that you automatically become a member. You can attend and check it out. Uh, but it is required if you're interested in becoming a shareholder uh, here at Crossroads. So I want to encourage you to sign up. I know the offering was already taken, but uh, you can speak to me. You can uh, l- just let us know that you're interested. We'll, we'll sign you right up. And uh, we've been talking about spiritual gifts. Uh, so many of you, how many of you took a spiritual gifts test last week? Like you, you took one of those hard copies. Okay, some of you did those. Some of you are very confused. Um, uh, some of you, you say, I didn't have anything, I came up zero, and others, I've got every single one of them. We, we know that just taking a paper test doesn't solve all the issues. Uh, in the near future, we're going to offer a class just talking about spiritual gifts during the Thrive Hour. Uh, but if you have questions, again, use the Connect card, speak to one of us, one of the pastoral staff, talk to us, and, uh, or talk to your Thrive teacher or something, and we'll be happy to help you in that process. Well, I want to pray, but before we open in prayer, I guess we just have to keep... There are so many current events going on today, we, at least the last few weeks. We just finished the other convention, and, and so now we've got both of those over. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, and I wanted to say something about this, and then, wouldn't you know it, uh, I noticed that Andy Stanley said something about this as well. And actually, what he said, and perhaps some of you already saw it, I was posted on Facebook and a lot of different places. But uh, Andy Stanley's a, 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 a colleague of mine, in a sense. We both went to Dallas Seminary. I, I love what he does with the Word of God. But what he had to say was exactly what I wanted to say. So I'm going to tell you, I'm going to say it pretty much the same way he said it. And that is, we have to talk a little bit about what's going on in our country right now. Now, all of you, you know, we all agree that, that things are coming un- unplugged. But... I think we should talk to those of you, those of us, who are 45 years or older. Okay, we're talking to, 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 the, to the older segment of, of our congregation. We're gonna, I want to talk to all of you guys. And uh, because what happens is, because of our background, because of the things that we've seen, we get kind of anxious. We're wringing our hands. You know, the, the liberties that we've known, we see them going away, and we see the world going to 
Hades in a handbasket, and we see all these changes happening so fast, and we start getting more and more anxious and more and more worried, and it's like, it feels like, like the end is coming, and these people, we got leaders that don't know which end is up, and, we're, and, and you're getting more and more anxious, and, and I've, I've got a word for you. Stop it. Stop. And to, and to quote Andy, I'll tell you why you should stop. Because you're scaring the kids. Okay? The truth of the matter is, we need to remember and model that God knows what he's doing. That, that this isn't the first time that maybe leaders have gone into power that you and I wouldn't approve of, whoever they are. It's kind of hard to find somebody to vote for. It's not the end of the world. God knows exactly what he's doing. In fact, I thought Andy had a great point, and then we've got to move on. But, you know, everyone has heard of a guy called Pontius Pilate. We all, we all know that name. He was a ruler in Judea ages ago. But the only reason we even know his name is because he's connected to the story of Jesus. Although he was in charge, and he got to say, well, go ahead then, crucify him. He set all that in motion. Talk about a leader that we'd have trouble supporting. And yet, now, the only reason we even know his name is because it's a part of the story of Jesus. So all of us are called upon to exhibit faith during these days. Yep, things are changing all the time. I totally get it. But none of it is outside of God's control. And every bit of it he can use. Because after all, when have, when have the greatest majority of people come to faith in Christ? You know where that's happening right now? Countries that don't even have democracies. And yet people are coming to faith. So, so it kind of challenges us. Which, which is more important to us? Our comfort? Our system? Our rights and freedoms? Or people entering the kingdom? So I want to encourage all of us to exercise and exhibit and, and share, model, faith. This election will not be the end of what God's doing in this country. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. So, Father God, now that we've rebu rebuked one another and we've reminded each other that despite all of the things that we don't like, and, and it's good to have a chance to... to uh, be critical, uh, to be wise as we assess what's going on in our country and the leaders and the messages and the directions because we in this country have the opportunity to influence those things. And so help us to know how to step up and to speak up and to vote up and to do what's best. But in the midst of all that, would you please remind us again and again that there is no reason for anxiety. There is no leader that could get voted in as the president of this country, that you cannot and will not influence. There is no one that will overrule your will. And so instead, we ask that you would help us to model the kind of faith that might even attract others to know, where is your anchor? To what are you moored? Lord, our prayer is uh, that the people of this country would turn to you in droves come to faith, and walk and follow you. Father, we know that in a group this size, there are families that are struggling. We know that there's individuals that are, 
are, are battling pain and broken relationships and financial hardships, vocational challenges. We know that there are issues. All of us have those issues. And so we simply ask that you would be merciful, that you'd be gentle, that you'd be gracious, and that you would touch hearts and lives here. I pray for Nick and I as we approach your word today. I pray that our words would be your words so that these, your people, are conformed to your image. And I ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, we're in the middle of a series, and uh, Nick and I are going to kind of take turns here, and so I'm going to take the first little part. We're in the book of 1 Corinthians. If you don't have a Bible, there's probably a blue hardcover Bible around, or we'll project some of the passages up front. Um, So it should start any second now. So we've been talking about... We've been talking about spiritual gifts. And, and, and we've begun to talk about, remember, this letter written to this church, and, and, and uh, Paul is trying to correct them and, and, and get them on the same page. And one of the issues that they had some misunderstandings about were spiritual gifts. Probably everybody in this room has got some misunderstandings about them. Uh, and we've admitted that we've all got some baggage. The passage we're looking at today really deals with just two ideas, and there they are. Diversity and unity. In fact, this entire passage has nothing, has, has, it says nothing except, for the most part, there is diversity in unity. And so we're going we're gonna to trace this through, and then uh, Nick's going to help us know what to do about it. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 11, we read this. Now, all these are the work of the one, one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them, each one just as He determines. I want you to notice the colors. And I want you to notice that in one verse, he keeps switching between the ideas of unity and diversity. All these are the work. All these. Diversity. Are the work of one and the same spirit. Unity. And he distributes them to each one. Diversity. Just as he determines. Unity. Get used to those two words. That's all we're going to talk about today. He goes on. Just as a body, the one has many parts but all its parts form one body, and so it is with Christ. So verse 12 is going to talk about the body. In fact, this is his illustration. He says, I can, I can, I can help you understand what it means to have lots of different parts, but they're all working as one. It's the body. Now, if you've been around church, you've heard us use that language quite a bit. It's kind of interesting the Bible uses a lot of different metaphors and images for, for God's people. It talks about people, God's people as a priesthood, as a race, as a, a, a royal race, uh, a nation, as a temple. It talks about God's people as, as a vine or a vineyard, which is supposed to produce fruit. It talks about the fact that the people of God are, are described like a bride, like the wife, God's wife, God's bride talks about the fact that we are like a flock of sheep, and Jesus is the shepherd, and the leaders within the church are under shepherds, under his leadership. It's only Paul. I don't know if you realize that. It's really only Paul that uses the human body as a metaphor for God's people. This is one of his ideas. He goes on. He says, just as a body, the one, has many parts... But all of its parts form one body, so it is with Christ. Does anybody have any problem with that? It's so simple, we almost need to just skip right over it and keep moving. 
until we start to unpack what that means. He says, so it is with Christ. Hmm. When, when Paul's talking about the body of Christ, shouldn't he say, so it is with the body of Christ? And, of course, we've looked at this before. We notice in the book of Acts when Saul was persecuting the Christians and Jesus appeared to him. Saul says, who are you, Lord? And he says, I'm Jesus, who you're persecuting. And Paul could have easily said, I never touched you. That wasn't me who crucified you. But Jesus said, look, if you're persecuting God's people, my people, you're persecuting me. Christ is his body. And his body is Christ. So verse 12, he's given this image of a body. Now we're going to, and here we go, ready to enter class for a minute? We're going to diagram the rest of the passage. Some of you love this. The rest of you are thinking, oh, no. The good news is Nick comes next. <laughs> so from verse 12, now we're gonna, he's going to explore two different ideas. He's going to explore unity and diversity. So verse 13, first he picks up on the unity idea. For we were all baptized, he says, into one spirit, so to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we're all given the one spirit to drink. So the idea of unity here is, he says, just like a body, we're all connected. We were all baptized. It's interesting. He says, we all were baptized, past tense. This isn't some subsequent kind of act, work of the Spirit, a second blessing. What he's referring to here is that when we came to faith in Jesus as our Savior, the Spirit of God took, residence, took up residence in us. And that's what he's referring to. And it happens to every believer, not just a choice subsection. We all have that in common. He says, so as to form one body. Now, if we're going to talk about forming one body, there's probably no passage that I think is more powerful than this one. And it's three slides long, so hang in there, okay? We're going to just read it. I don't have to comment much. Ephesians 2, starting in verse 11. And, and if I misread this, forgive me. I memorized it in a different version, and I, for the life of me, can't get it right. But I'm going to try to read it. Therefore, remember that formerly you, who were Gentiles by birth and called the uncircumcised by those who are called themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. You were excluded from the citizenship of, in Israel. You were foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups into one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and he preached peace to those who were far away and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? 
with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is being joined together and it rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So his point is simply this. There is unity. We were all baptized by the same spirit. And he says, and we were all given one spirit to drink. Well, that, okay, I don't remember drinking the spirit. But again, the images here. You remember what Jesus said to the woman at the well? You know, remember he says, hey, woman, give me a drink. You'd ask me for a drink, a Samaritan woman. Remember the shock? Jesus said this. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I will give to them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become a spring of water welling up into eternal life. We were all given that same spirit to drink. And so in a sense, what he's saying is, Paul is saying, Jesus surrounds every one of you and all of us. We are sort of dunked in him, and he's in us. He's all around us through baptism, and he's in us through drinking of the Spirit. He's all through us. Which is why he writes this in Ephesians. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. We could go on and on, but I just want to make this point. There is just one body of Christ. This is true of everyone in this room. If you have put your faith in Jesus, you are a part of the body of Christ as it meets here at Crossroads. And we, as a body of believers, are a part of these other churches that are gospel-preaching churches all around us. We are one body in Christ. So now he's going to go on to verse 14 and talk about diversity. He's made a great case. And remember, the body, unity, diversity. Now he's going to talk about unity, now down to diversity. And then he's going to expound on both of those in just a minute. Verse 14, he says this. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but many. Well, we know that. That makes sense. Okay, got it. He says, even so. There's a tension here. We know that we tend to focus on either the unity or the diversity. And so the challenge is to keep both in our minds at the same time. We're made up of one part. No, nobody is made up of a single part. I, I wish we had time today to try to imagine what the Corinthians were thinking. If he says, nobody is made up of just one part, what part do you think they would have thought the body was made of? A mouth, a hand, whatever. Everybody, you know, you have favorite gifts. Some of you are upset because you took that spiritual gifts test and you did not like what it said. <laughs> I know what that feels like. Okay? You have your own set ideas. The Corinthians were the same. That's why he's saying, we're all... What, what kind of a body would you have if it was just one part, which is what he unpacks right now in verse 15? Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if an ear should say, because I'm not, a part of the, I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop becoming or being a part of the body. So what we have here is something pretty weird. 
Yes, Paul is having body parts talk to each other. This is, you know, Sally Sock. And don't worry, I don't have any other puppets but this. But it's pretty bizarre to talk about parts, body parts talking to each other. A foot's going to talk to the hand. So I was working on my foot voice. This is what a foot would sound like. No, I'm not. I'm not going to do that. You, you guys have never me, let me live that down. You, you go ahead and make up your own foot voice, your own ear voice. Not now. <laughs> Later, when I'm not around. Body parts talking to each other, first of all, is a little bit absurd. But what is even more ludicrous is the fact that a foot would say, oh, well, if I'm not a hand, then I'm not part of the body. That is just ridiculous. Or, you see, I'm an ear. I'm not an eye, so pff, what am I? It's so easy to say, that's silly. Uh, careful, because Nick's going to whoop up on you. No. You see, the idea is that it doesn't matter which part. You're all part of the same body, and every part has a function. Verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. So one of the issues here is simply this. We might take issue with what, what body part God baby has made us to be. The first thing Paul says is, just remember that God made it so. So when we take issue with how we think he's gifted us or how he's gifted you or you or what, we're arguing with him. And then there's goes back to this body parts talking to each other. If they were all one part, where would the body be? What kind of a body would it be if it was one gigantic eyeball? Right? I mean, that's not, all that is is like a B horror movie. Right? The ear that ate New York or whatever. Like... It's, it's silly. It's so silly that it's hard to imagine that a group of believers would struggle with the simple idea that, of course, you're all different. That doesn't mean you're any less apart. So would you want to be a part of a body that only had was one big ear, one big toe? Now, you see, we're arguing with God. The eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. I want you to notice something. In the other verse, he was saying parts are like, well, if I'm not, if I'm not a hand, then I'm not important. Now it's reversed. Now the important part's saying, hey, I don't need you. I don't need you. And we could talk for on and on and on with the examples of how ridiculous that is. Okay, if you if you watch Doctor Who you know that you know, to float around as simply a brain is not really that much fun, right? It's nice to have a body to go into. Every, every, every entity that's floating around wants to take over a body. Everybody knows that if you watch Doctor Who. Nobody watches Doctor Who. Okay. <laughs> so we've got people on one side saying, oh, I'm not, I don't have special enough gifts. I don't have special enough role. I'm not special enough, so I'm insignificant. And on the other side, you got people saying, you're nowhere like me. You can't do what I do, so you are worthless. You are no help at all. We'll let you stay. So we're stuck between this world of this extreme of inferiority complex and superiority conflict. 
complex. Now, which, which end do you tend to slide over to? See, it's easy to criticize the ones who think they're superior. I mean, we all know how to deal with them. They are just so wrong. I don't know if it ever entered your mind that coming way over here to the other side is just as ludicrous. Every part in your body has a purpose. Okay. If you've ever had an ingrown toenail, right? And we could go on. I mean, I'm old enough, I could tell stories about pains for hours, right? The point is, there are little parts that you don't even notice until something goes wrong and suddenly, wow, they really are a part of the body. So here's the passage, verse 12, a body as an example. Verse 13, focusing on unity. 14, talking about diversity. 15 to 21, exploding, kind of expanding this idea of diversity. And then the last part, talking about back to unity. Verse 22, on the contrary. I mean, all that body talk and parts fighting, that's it's silly. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Now, I'm not going to do another chart for you, but I want you to notice he gives three different kind of descriptions of body parts, and each one is a little bit different. So there are weaker parts, but the weaker parts are actually indispensable. He goes on to say, then there are less honorable parts. It almost seems to be a little bit worse than weaker. Less honorable parts, and we treat them with special honor. You're saying, ah, what's he talking about? Well, the third, this th third line kind of helps us. There are parts that are unpresentable. They're treated with special modesty. Okay? Unpresentable parts. Do you know what they are? They're unpresentable. Okay? We can't even talk about it. But we do know what we do with those parts. We cover them. We dress them. We protect them. Oh, is that what he's saying? That's exactly what he's saying. He's saying everybody has, every body, not everybody, every body has parts that are right out front and parts that are tucked away. But the ones that are tucked away, those weaker ones, those less honorable ones, those in unpresentable ones, they're not just as important as those parts. They may be more important, which is why we give them special protection. Our bodies themselves, you know, your fingers and toes will shut down and die to keep your core working. That's exactly what Paul's saying. So this idea is that there are parts of us that we treat special. Verse 25. Why do we do this? So that, and this is a purpose statement, so that, there should be no division in the body. And that its parts should have equal concern for each other. And then he gives this example. If one part suffers, the whole body suffers. That's what I was just saying. And one party rejoices. Have you ever had, don't raise your hand, you ever had trouble rejoicing with somebody? Hmm. So my, my neighbor who never, ever, 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 ever has played the lottery plays it once and wins a million dollars. Oh, wow. Good for you. Right? 
Did you hear that? They never played before. Now, we all know what that feels like. What we're saying is, if it's your own body, you're cutting off your nose to spite your face. We are that body. I want you to notice, lastly, that he says they have equal concern for each other. And here's what's so interesting about this. When he was talking about the parts that are right out front and the parts that are hidden and weaker, were they treated equally? They weren't. In fact, here's the thing that's so interesting. To treat every part with equal concern means some parts are treated differently than others. Some people, you can walk right up to them and just tell them what you think, and they're good with that. But there are others that are, are more reserved than that, and you're going to have to earn the right to speak and you have to do it in a kind and gentle way. You're going to treat them differently. I want to suggest that part of the problem in the body sometimes is that we think, oh, well, then we just should treat everyone the same. The Bible doesn't say that. It says to treat them according to their role in the body. Some are treated with special honor. And other parts of the body don't need any special honor at all. And he closes with this. Now, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. So there's the whole passage charted out. Real issue is this. Every single one of us is a part of a single body. Every one of us is different from each other. And every one of us is needed and valued for a different reason. Nick's going to help us understand that. Trying to get this transition here. Thank you. Really appreciate the permission that was granted by me to use that picture. So it's, uh, it's really good to be talking to people that don't need candy to stay in tune with me. Um, maybe, yeah, right? So for those of you who don't know, I'm the next-gen pastor here, so I teach little kids, littles and middles most of the time. Um, I also work at Christ Homes for Children. It's a shelter care for, for kids, zero all the way up to 21. And I oversee three of the programs there currently. And one of the programs they have teens in. And I know, I know this might come as a shock to some of you guys who have teens, but teens don't always listen. They don't always do what they're supposed to do. Um, so as a result, when a teen doesn't do what they're supposed to do, I have committed to saying, hey, you're going to lose your cell phone. And so I take the cell phone away, and I learn two things about this. One, I don't know if you knew this or not, the cell phone is actually a vital organ to them operating. <laughs> As soon as you take the cell phone, they cease to operate. They'll just be huddled up on the couch. And, um, really super important. Two, if you take the cell phone of a teen, don't, I repeat, don't put it in your pocket and then go to the store. <laughs> don't do that. Take the cell phone. Teen was acting unsavory. I took the cell phone away. It is a hot pink 
bedazzled cell phone. <laughs> Put it in the pocket. I'm standing in line, cart full of groceries, standing in line, and all of a sudden I hear it. <laughs> warning, warning, this is your mother, this is your mother, warning. So I take the cell phone out, pink with jewels. Everyone's looking at me. This is great. I don't know what it is. It's an iDroid, Samsung, Next. I have no idea what I'm looking at, okay? It's totally illiterate. I can't turn it off. Every button I'm hitting is making it louder. Warning, warning. This is your mother. I'm like thinking, why does this girl have this here? Like, what's wrong? So I can't stop it. So my options really are to decline the call or answer the call. That's all I can do from now on the touchscreen thing. So I decline the call, put it in. Okay, everyone thinks I'm just a little crazy. And of course, it goes off again. <laughs> warning, warning, this is your mother, this is your mother. So I pick it up again, decline the call, put it back in. And then this old guy in front of me turns around and goes, you're lucky to have a mother. <laughs> and then he turns around. And for some reason, I start feeling convicted, like, yeah, I am lucky to have a mom. That's true. So it goes off again a third time. And if you know anything about the parents of the kids that we have, they're just sometimes they can be a little aggressive. So it goes off again. And I pick up the phone, and I'm like, I, I have two options. Is one, people are going to keep continue to stare at me. I have this ludicrous ring that I can't stop. Or two, I have to answer this phone call. And if she hears a dude answer a teen girl's cell phone, she's going to have the police here. So I look down, and I answer the phone call. Hello, mother. <laughs> yes, no. No, no, I'm, I'm fine. This is my normal voice. Hey, no, oh, you know, puberty and all. I hear I, I, I've got to go. I'm in line at the store. Goodbye. I call you back. <laughs> at this point, I just want to crawl up in a hole, <laughs> go away. I want to be done. The old man turns around. And he says, I don't know all about you transgenders. <laughs> But you did the right thing. <laughs> what do I do? What do I do at this point? Do I say, no, sir, I'm not a transgender, I'm not gay, I'm a heterosexual man with a pink phone with pedazzle on it that talks like a girl when my mom calls. Do I do that? Do I do that move? No. You know what I did? <laughs> so one for transgenders. So we got a lot of different people. I'm very different. If you follow me around, I'm very different. We have a lot of different body parts going on here. And so how do we break this all down? How do we bring it home here for us? What do we do? So I want to take a quick look at Mary and Martha. You guys know about Mary and Martha in the Bible. If you want to take, open up your Bible to Luke 10, 38 through 42, we're going to look over this real, real briefly. Um, Mary and Martha show up a lot in the Bible, okay? Um, so they are, they are precious to Jesus. We're not sure a lot about Mary and Martha, but we can kind of safely assume 
that Martha is the head of the home. They're never linked really to a husband or a father, um, but we can think that Martha is the head of a home. So Jesus shows up on the scene, and then let's, let's read verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She, she, she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care? And I just want to stop right there. Lord, don't you care? First, that's pretty gutsy to go to Jesus and be like, don't you care? Isn't that pretty gutsy? And then I thought about it. And I, I'm pretty convinced I ask this question. If I don't say it out loud, I say it internally all the time to other people that I can't make sense of their actions. Don't you care? And then you could almost insert anything in that place. Don't you care about my time? Don't you care about my feelings? Don't you care about all the hard work that I put in? Don't you care about those people over there? Don't you care about the outcome measures? Don't you care? And so we don't want to get stuck. Let's finish the verse before me. Don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. The don't you care trap. See, so we set this up. It's kind of backwards because we'll say, hey, don't you care about this? Because So the assumption is that if you cared about me and what I care about, and if you cared about me, then you would do what I think that you should do. You would act in the way that I think that you should act. And because you don't, I'm going to say you don't care. Isn't that a vicious cycle? But then I was like, I do that all the time. I do it all the time. If someone doesn't get me, then I just kind of go into this trap of they don't care. If they cared, they would, and they don't, so they must not. Let's look at Jesus' response to this. We have our conclusions. If they cared, they would. And you could put anything in there, really. You could talk about anyone. If my spouse cared, if my boss cared, if my coworkers cared, they would. If my kids cared, your kids probably won't start caring until they're 30, and even then, we'll see. Um, insert anything you want in there. So they must not care. And then this affects how we care for others. So because I think that my boss doesn't care, because I think my coworkers don't care, because I think that the people that are part of this body don't care about this, I'm going to care differently about them. And it's kind of this trap that we have. The good news is I want to look at how Jesus responds, what he says and what he doesn't say, and then could we possibly use our emotions when we start with every time we feel like, don't you care? Could we use that and flip it and work backwards and understand what it is to be diversely unified as a body? So let's look at Jesus' response. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, 
but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Do you notice that he does not, so she's preparing for this meal. First thing we didn't, we didn't really touch on. Jesus is probably bringing about 100 people at least into her home. I don't know what kind of home she had set up. She must have been a very interesting character. But she could, she could uh, hold 100 people. That's a lot of people. So the thing that she was doing, preparing for this meal, was super, super important. It wasn't one dude. It wasn't even 20. That would have been a lot. It was probably at least 100 people. It was super important. She was doing something that was good and needed. I think she has the gift of hospitality. And so when she does this, notice what Jesus doesn't say. Jesus doesn't say, you should stop doing what you're doing and come sit at my feet. Although she wouldn't have been wrong to do that. I don't think she would have been wrong. But he doesn't say that. In fact, he didn't even address her before. When she was, when she was preparing the meal and Mary was sitting there and he was teaching, he didn't say, hey, you come on over here. Is it possible that what she was doing was completely okay. And he, what he does address, so he doesn't address, he doesn't rebuke her actions, but he rebukes her attitude. Don't you care? And hey, tell her to come over here and help me. And so what we kind of have is Martha sitting in between the two. I don't need any of that, you sitting around listening to people. And nobody seems to value me. I'm doing all the preparation here. But he responds in such a way, he says, listen, she has chosen one greater, it's not going to be taken away from her. He doesn't even feed into it. He says, no, Mary's going to stay here. She's not even going to go help you. Could it be possible for Martha to prepare a meal for a hundred people and feel totally fulfilled and excited that she gets to do this so other people can go hear Jesus. Is that possible? Isn't that cool? Wouldn't that be cool? If as she's preparing, she's like so excited that they get to hear the word of God straight from Jesus' mouth. Could that possibly be more fulfilling? So tell us Martha Mary isn't coming because he does care. So we move from worry to purpose when we recognize the diverse unity of the body and how we slash they operate in it. If we can understand, if we can take the don't you care and start to use it. So, so Martha thinks to say, starts to say, don't you care about hospitality? Don't you care the fact that I'm preparing this? She probably has a gift of hospitality, right? So she can take this and understand it and use it to say, I am fulfilling my purpose of being hospitable. And I'm running in this vein. I don't need other people to run in this vein with me. I can do it so that they can run in their vein. Then we understand how we slash they, because they're going to be different. They're going to run. You're going to need to let other people run in their veins, operate in the body. And then, so I have a couple quick things. So we move from personal. Why can't they do what you put whatever in there better? Why can't they do this project better? Why can't they clean better? Why can't they da-da-da? Don't they care? Two, when we understand purpose and goal. Two, I see that I feel, I feel a need in the way I do. Da-da-da-da-da. Teach. Da-da-da-da-da. 
bring to this project, da da da. Whatever you want. Why isn't somebody doing, insert whatever. Why isn't someone doing that? Don't they care? To, I love doing. I won't pick on George anymore. Just saying that means I picked on him. But George is a key example of this. George came to say, why does anyone do it? And then he came and he did it. And he loves doing it. I think he loves doing it. He's awesome. But quick example. And then we go, boy, no one seems good at, and it irritates me. Boy, if you are irritated because nobody can do something the way that you think it should be done, it is probably a sign <laughs> that you should be doing it, or at least helping in some capacity. <laughs> to I feel fulfilled growing, da 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 da. Wouldn't it be cool to be on the other side of this instead of the beginning side? Wouldn't it be cool to be on the other side? And we can't miss out on the value piece. So we have a public. They never work as hard as I do at, oh, we bring on that judgment, don't we? Because they can't do it like we do it. In fact, I'm the only one who can do it this way. <laughs> Two, they are extremely good at, if you cannot find value in the body, if you cannot find value in the organizations that you work with, I'm challenging you, I'm challenging me. People are just not, not good at things. They're good at something. And so we look for that value, and we praise it, and we speak to it. They don't need to be good at what we're good at, and they don't need to understand why that irritates us when they're not. They don't seem to get to, but they do understand really well, whatever you want to put in there. So how do we use this? Man, well, I would say that if you come from a standpoint of, I don't you care, and you're saying it in some capacity, like, doesn't somebody care about this? Doesn't someone care about that? Use it. Work backwards. And then maybe if you're saying that and it's causing contention, it's causing strife because you're not valuing the body, maybe go, oh, I need to check myself because I'm really upset at the way that they're acting in this organization. Don't they get that they should be doing this? Da, da, da. Okay, there I go again. Something's off. Maybe they shouldn't be caring about this. Mike Arnault, 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 uh, worked at Walgreens. Does still work at Walgreens. 2010, he went to the Global Leadership Summit. And he was challenged by this crazy guy named Bill Hybels. I don't know if you've ever heard of crazy guy. Um, Bill Hybels is the lead pastor at Willow Creek, 20 plus thousand member church. And he was challenged that, that if you have a holy discontent, you should go pursue it. If something makes you upset, go do something about it. And he worked at Walgreens. And what really made him upset was that every 20 seconds, somebody overseas dies from a disease that is curable. And he was bent out of shape. He goes, I work at a pharmacy. I should be able to do something about it. So he pursued this path. We're going to try to fix this. And he presented plan after plan of trying to get... get uh, immunizations and medicine overseas. And they kept turning him down. They said, it's not going to make any money. You want to give away our supplies. And he goes, okay, okay. What if we do, everybody who gets a shot at Walgreens, we give a shot away. I said, Mike, you're crazy. You're not going to make any money doing this. So he pushed and he pushed and he pushed. And he got some partners. And in 2015, they launched a small pilot segment of get a shot, give a shot at Walgreens. In three months, 
those Walgreens outperformed every single Walgreens in the country. They made more money than every other Walgreens in the country. People loved this idea. So in 2016, they said, Mike, we want to go nationwide with get a shot, give a shot. They've estimated that they've given away 100 million shots overseas. And they said, Mike, we cannot prove this at all, but we're pretty sure, and we're working to get the data to prove this, we're pretty sure that it went from every 20 seconds a kid's dying to 45 seconds that a kid's dying. And they said it was smiles, and Mike was so distraught. He said, well, we got next year to figure out how to make that two minutes, and the next year to figure out how to make that three minutes. Because he was so undone. But doesn't somebody care? It was a sign. I need to care. Mark Batterson says, don't criticize with your words. Criticize by making it better. Or don't criticize at all. If something has you undone, don't use your words to criticize it. Help. Make it better. So in a moment here, um, I would really like to go on an adventure with you all. What would it take for all of us to come together and to say, I want to join the body in my special gift and I want to value other people? We really kind of have three different responses, three different ways that we could respond today. One could be, Nick, I, I, I really don't know what my gift is. I really don't know what body part I play, and that's okay because I got good news for you. The Spirit does speak, He is not silent. If you totally come and say, hey, I, I, I really want to be part of this. I don't know how, but I want to join. I don't know what I do. I don't know what piece I play. And you are in that place, and you're asking the Lord to speak. He will tell you. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be any surprise to me if he uses the body, if he uses other people to confirm and guide and direct you. It's one response. I, I, I want to sign up. Instead of saying, don't you care, I want to say, no, no, I care. So I'm going to do something about it. I want to sign up. Others, you know your gift. I know my gift. Others, you know your gift. Your challenge is a little bit different. Valuing other people in the body. And this is where I just got convicted. This is me. Just last week. I, in so many words, said to this other gentleman, you, I don't need you. And so many, I didn't say it like that. I, I use all these fancy other words, circumnavigate it. I don't need you. My opinion is the only one that matters right now because it's right. And as I was working through the sermon, guys, I just wept. I said, I've got to go to this man and ask for forgiveness because he was trying to do something that was so worthy and so valuable. And because it didn't line up with me and my thoughts, I didn't need it. And so maybe that's... For some of us, that's a response today. Others of you, and you know who you are, are the indispensable parts of the body. I'm totally dispensable. I'm a mouthpiece. You can get rid of me. I'm annoying half the time. But there are indispensable parts of the body, and you haven't yet understood your worth in the body. You haven't yet understood how invaluable you are in the body. And it's 
It's, it's this real moment of coming to this, this idea of, Lord, you value me. I play a part, because you play a part. You're valued. You play an integral part. And coming to that realization, three different ways you can respond today. Ben's going to play a little bit. I'm going to pray. There's going to be some pastors up here if, if anyone wants to come forward. But I want, to, I want to challenge you to take a second to listen to the Holy Spirit and say, what is he saying? And it might take a minute. It might take a minute to listen. It might take two minutes. What is he saying to me? What's, how do I respond today? Heavenly Father, you're so good not to be quiet when we're asking for direction. You're so good to make up a body of different parts that's going to bring you praise and it's going to meet needs around the world. It's going to save lives, redeem them back to you. You're good to do that. And so many times we're just lost. God, I pray that you would bring our hearts together today, diversely unified, so that more people would understand about the creativity of our God, the love, the power, the eternal perspective that you want to spend eternity with these people that don't know you. It should be our purpose. And God, I can't even imagine what would happen if all of us clung to our gifts and clung to encouraging the body. How many would come to know you? God, I just, I'm inviting you into this space right now, inviting the Holy Spirit to work in us, inviting you to speak words that we need to hear. We're opening up our hearts. God, would you come in? and speak to us. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. Intro music by bensound.com Visit us online at crossroads-cc.org